This podcast is brought to you by Airdesk, IT support for your home and business. To give your business a help desk, visit airdesk.online or search Airdesk support. Hello and welcome to the Tech Authority Podcast. I'm Andrew Brown, your host. Today, we're going to be continuing the rest of the conversation with Craig Pitts, the final part, part three. Here it is. All right, let's talk about applications and how we can make them a little bit more secure. When you look at email, for example, a lot of people use email in business. Mm -hmm. You might be on different types of email. You might have Office 365 and Google Suite. But depending on how you use email, how do you make it a little bit more secure? In Office 365, you've got options for advanced threat protection to be enabled. And there's two different tiers of that as well. You can have just the basic level, which will protect you from malware and spam. But there's also the part of enabling more security. Webmail is known to get hacked quite frequently. And to make the mailbox more secure, you've got the option for two-factor authentication now, which is a really good thing. Um, even though it can be quite annoying um, to have that extra security applied, it, it is worth doing it for most of the time. Um, what are the benefits that you see out of two-factor authentication? Yeah, we've certainly seen over the course of the last decade um, phishing or you know trying to steal credentials via email um, has just risen enormously. And, and even over the last three months while everyone's been in quarantine, the phishing attacks around the world have escalated many, many times over normal. Um, having the ability to use something like multi-factor authentication or two-factor authentication really does help because uh, it's one thing for a, a, a would-be thief to steal your credentials. Uh, it's another thing for them to be able to then pretend to have your phone to receive an SMS to put in a PIN code or to run a run an authorized tool to to put in a an acknowledgement of login. So, you know that that multi-factor authentication is is really becoming the norm. Uh, we're seeing it even you know these days on the your takeaway food application. Um, so you know, I was, I have a a card that I use when I go to my favorite takeaway. And, uh, you know, recently their database got hacked. And the very sad thing, they stole all the points off my card. So, you know, no more free meal for me. Um, but what they've done since, other than being a really good guy and refunding those points that were stolen, um, they've put on multi-factor authentication. So, you know, that's good. That's responsible for them. But that's just a takeaway food provider. So if we're seeing it at that level, um, that's really then become sort of the starting point for securing your accounts you know if, if it's if it's down to the point of the the average takeaway meal <laughs> you know your average chicken or burger dinner um, you know then that means we're pretty much at the stage where that's sort of considered a minimum expectation of safety and you know it's it's really important that people understand that you know a lot of these are opportunistic crimes that the people are really what they're after is your email account and your information about phone numbers and contacts, which then turn around and get collated into big databases of targets and sold on the internet on the black market. So, you know, it's, it is literally information mining that's occurring and um, that's where the second factor helps reduce that and protect your security around your 
confidential data. How do you protect yourself with phishing attempts? Like, is there something that's more common that's frequently seen around phishing that you've you've noticed that depending on who it is and who they're targeting, obviously people are going to be doing different things. But what are the common things that you see around phishing? Yeah, look, there's a couple of levels of phishing. So the the typical phishing mail will arrive in your inbox and will say, "Hey, do you need to reset your past? Uh, this has been, you know, this has been compromised. We need you to go in and reset your password." And there's a link, and you click on the link, and it looks and feels like what you're used to, uh, but nothing happens. So it's in the background, and someone's, you know, harvesting your user account and password. Um, that's a fairly low-level kind of thing, um, and they go up in up in complexity from there. So then it becomes that the mails get more and more like, like what you would normally see from the vendor. So a bank is a typical target, so people can steal your banking credentials. Um, and uh, after that, you then start getting into something which is very targeted, which is called whaling. Um, and whaling is where they're trying to attack a big target, hence the reference of a whale. Um, and really what they do then is the thief will get your account details and they'll watch the mail that goes in and out of your inbox for a while. Once they understand who you normally talk to and the kind of emails that normally come and go from your account, they'll then respond and impersonate someone uh, that you know uh, or that you would normally expect to receive a document from and they would then look to get that access uh, to a specific system and do a very targeted attack. So as far as you're concerned, you might be having a chat with your best friend at your local, I don't know, sports store or club or something that you might normally pay a membership fee to. And they would say, look, you know, your membership fee is due or we're paying them early this year or we've actually changed our bank details. Don't send it over here, send it over there. And that's actually, you know, what they're doing is um, acting as a trusted insider, getting you to change your behaviour uh, without even alerting you. So it's very, very specific, very targeted, but the rewards for them are that they'll get a bigger payout by doing a little bit extra homework. So, yeah, I think phishing is really, really about being cautious what you click on. And if you don't expect an email from that person requesting more funds or login details, then make you know make an out-of-band connection to that person. Pick up the phone and give them a call and say, hey, look, you know, did you really, you know, change your bank account? Did you really want me to send over my membership early? This doesn't sound right. And and chances are it may be true. Uh, but at the same time, it also may be a, you may have save, avoid spending, you know, money unnecessarily or losing access to something. And that's really where you've just got to be cautious. As I said right at the start, you know, there's there's a need for an awareness piece that, that keeps the users aware, keeps us all aware and up to date with what might be an attack. I guess it's also knowing what to expect. I mean, if it looks dodgy, like this is a really interesting conversation at the moment because recently at work uh, I've actually had somebody in the business send me an order saying, by the way, here's the order, it's coming and here's all the stuff that's happening around it. And it's like somebody's testing you to click on the link and do the thing but when it's from your own internal people on the other side of the globe sending you an email that's from their account, 
whether they're still in the business or not, I don't know. But it also appears like it is dodgy straight away. Like, I know I'm not going to click on those things. But other people might. They're like, they may not question it. Yeah. And it's like a test from the security team in our and I think that's local the thing. team it's, is a good thing. Yeah, and I, I think that's the thing. It's the looking for the unusual or uncharacteristic situation. Um, if if it's enough to make you pause for a second and, and say, is this is this something I would normally see? Uh, then that's probably enough of a concern to raise it for a verification. Uh, and you've got to be naturally sceptical. Um, you don't need to have a tinfoil hat on, um, but you do need to naturally question things and say, is this something I would normally see? Now, would I normally be expecting to get an email from someone on the other side of the world? And if the answer is no, um, then maybe you know, raise it to someone and say, look, this is just really unusual uh, and get them to do a, a quick check. They might say, look, that's perfectly okay. Yeah, it's a bit, bit unusual, but it's perfectly okay. That sounds like a good idea. Apart from protecting your computer from antivirus and anti-ransomware software, how do you protect your identity and privacy online? Oh, look, that's a, that's a big question. Um, you know, when you, as we were saying earlier, you know, when you talk about the things we do, just, just the typical things we do, I mean, we all have a store rewards card, which has an online interface. Um, we all have probably in the last three months been doing shopping online for groceries. Um, you know, we've all been definitely chatting to people, probably listening to podcasts, I would suggest. Yeah. Um, you know, we've been doing social media so that we can feel that we're not alone and disconnected. Most of our phones now are internet-based phones, they're IP phones. Um, you know, we've been doing email, messaging, and, you know, even doing our recreational things like watching Netflix or whatever it might be maybe watching some other streaming, downloading bits and pieces, games. You know, we're, we're very online people these days. Uh, it's, it is difficult to protect yourself online, uh, especially when everything wants more and more information about you. Um, it, it really comes down to being cautious about what you put online and where you put it. You can do it safely, uh, but, you know, as I said, yeah, if you wouldn't put it on the 6 o'clock news, then why would you put it online? You know, what, if you wouldn't put it up on a banner out the front of your house for people to drive past and see, would you, would you want to put that online? Because if the information does get leaked or stolen or otherwise, especially if you're some sort of you know, public identity or have some, you know, some professional connections that, that make you quite public, then that, that information will eventually get out there somehow, even if someone goes digging for it. Um, so you need to just be very mindful of what that is and make sure that you're comfortable with the information. Sounds good. Would patching computers and apps and operating systems help as well? Yeah, look, I think uh, the the tools that you have on your device can help reduce the chance of attack. So, you know, absolutely make sure your PC is patched. Absolutely, without a doubt. Uh, it might be annoying. Uh, Sometimes they can take some time to deploy. Um, but the idea of a patch is it's fixing a known attack point. So, so make sure that you do actually patch your machine. Uh, as you said, you know, antivirus, anti-malware, uh, there's even tools that, that, that protect against threats. So they look for behavioral attacks against your PC. 
So for example, in the, the phishing example, you click on a link, it would see that that's trying to connect to a, an internet website that it knows is bad, and it would stop that behavior happening. So there's, there's many different tools out there um, that are absolutely useful. But you know, things like just simple patching closes a hole that, that's on your PC that's known by attackers. And you know, the majority of attacks are against old holes that haven't been fixed on a computer. They're very lazy. And the toolkits are out there pretty much for free to download. Uh, so make it harder by default. Just if nothing else, then they'll move on to someone else that's easier to attack. Yeah, I, I can imagine that there's a lot of people going, damn, I hate updating. It's the worst thing <laughs> in the world. <laughs> the new Windows updates are huge, Windows 10, but, you know, it, yeah. it, it, fixes, it fixes the problems. Well, it also causes some other issues too, like they end up breaking things and that, that causes headaches for IT people, as you yeah, can imagine. Can. Um, I, I've seen things go horribly wrong with Windows updates, and while I think updates are a pain myself, um, sometimes they're, they're quite necessary. Like you said, patching holes and getting rid of problems that uh, people could do something. Most of the time they won't get in, but um, you know, some people just don't see it that way. I've seen people in the world go, oh, I had a call from Telstra and I just let them onto my computer and let them steal all my yeah. stuff. And the worst thing in the world is trying to go back and repair it if you can repair it. Mm-hmm. Um, because people just think, oh, it's Telstra, it's fine. But Telstra aren't going to jump onto your computer and do particular things. They're not going to take all the data or run a script in the background and have all this text fly across the screen. It's just not going to happen. Um, they will only call you if you call them for support. Um, they won't call you directly and go, oh, by the way, your computer's got a problem. And some people don't even have a computer. So it's, it's yeah, interesting. Yeah, I think that's, it is good that a lot of companies are getting that message out, as you said, like Telstra, big phone companies, uh, banks as well. They are actively trying to get that message out that, you know, we will not call you. So if you have a call from someone that says they're us, it isn't. It's a scam. And I think it's a, there's a trust. Uh, the difficulty is people are being brought up to trust organisations. Um, and, and as a result, you know, people will get a call from them and go, oh, look, I, I trust them by default. So therefore, why they're ringing me is obviously a legitimate cause. And, and I think that, that unfortunately, we live in a fairly, you know, unscrupulous kind of time at the moment where it's very easy for people to get your information and give you a call and, and try and con you into you know, access to your PC. You know, Microsoft has detected a fault on your computer and I need access to it so I can fix it. And, you know, that's clearly not the case. But again, for a lot of people, the, the name or the brand Microsoft is a trusted brand and people think, oh, okay, well, this is probably something legitimate. But unfortunately, companies like that would never contact you directly. You know, that's not what they're about. So um, it's very much a case, as I was saying earlier, just thinking a bit cautiously, you know, um, think about, you know, would, would my, if I had a business, and I potentially had millions of customers, would I call someone directly that's you know, just an average user out there doing their day? You know, if they don't have a specific support contract in place? And the answer is clearly no. You know, so try, trying to avoid getting caught up with that. And that's where things like I were mentioning earlier, the advanced threat protection, newer security tools, um, they work on a principle 
where they have like a shared knowledge base that's online. So the, the security tool has harnesses the power of every machine that's installed uh, for knowledge. So if your machine in Australia has an issue, uh, it will upload that into the central knowledge store. And then if someone in Africa, for example, has the same problem, they'll reference that online database and go, ah, look, I know that that's a problem, so I'll block that. So you're, you, know, you actually start to see the internet being used for good in that situation and being able to um, stop unnecessary access based on knowledge that's learned elsewhere. This is also good for um, troubleshooting purposes as well because in IT, this is a common thing. If you have a problem with your computer, you're probably going to look it up on Google to see if anyone has the answer for it so you can solve mm -hmm. it quicker. Um, I guess that's the opposite thing for here for being security conscious because if they're marking those points and going, oh, we know how to solve that, this is what we do. Yep, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And and that's I think we'll see as time goes on, we'll see more of these kind of systems that rely on... Um, the, the learnings from everywhere it's deployed. So you instant get instant coverage based on the knowledge of someone else happening. And when we have things go around, and we all remember CryptoLocker that went around a year or two ago or three ago now, um, and it's you know, changed its shape and form every other six months to do a new version. Um, you know, those kind of tools would see that behavior in one or two locations and stop it instantly. Uh, so that's that's the kind of thing that's, uh, learning tools are becoming a lot more prevalent, uh, a lot more intelligent, and will stop things trying to, to stop bad behaviour trying to get onto your PC knowing what it actually is. So, so they're the kind of things that we'll see a lot more of in the future. So it's worthwhile you know, updating again, updating antiviruses, updating anti-malware, and uh, trying to make sure you've got good security tools in place on your PC to protect yourself and your PC and your data. That's a good point. I want to bring into the fact that most of these devices that we're buying online are made in one particular location, and that's China. There's a lot of potential risks for the Chinese government to also obtain the information that are on these devices. Once these devices become live online on your home network or your business network, they can cause potential damage, can't they? Yeah, look, I think it's it's we've seen some companies out there that are predominantly based out of China that have been doing some some you know some silly things over the course of time. Um, I know the Australian government, a lot of other governments around the world, have pointed to you know security cameras. Um, the brand Hikvision, uh, having content or equipment inside them that reports content back to to uh, China, which is not really what we want. Um, and, you know, Huawei has been involved in many conversations at a, at a national and a multinational level about what their equipment may or may not be doing. So, you know, I think as with anything like, like you know, you're, as I we was saying previously, your vacuum cleaner that might report back to home to say, you know, your filters needs to be replaced because it's not as good as it used to be. Um, or your air conditioning system that might be reporting back to the times you turn your air conditioner on and off or these kind of crazy things or the temperatures in your room or what it's doing. Um, it may be telemetry data 
but when you put in your username and your password and all this sort of stuff into the actual thing and it sends that back as well, you know, that's when it becomes a real problem. So I think, you know, uh, the technology coming out of specifically China, obviously they're pretty much sort of the engine room of the world, uh, which you know, obviously doesn't help that everything's made in one spot. Um, but yeah, it, it is quite likely that, you know, that with what's going on around the world at the minute, we might see people move away from that approach uh, and make sure that you know, the data that we're putting into these systems doesn't get sent out. And I mean, you can, again, it's, it comes down to your choice. Do you really need to set your air conditioner from the internet to the other side of the world or at, when you're at work? Probably not. You know, <laughs> we can we can probably wait until we get home, and then turn it on, and you know, ten minutes later the house is cool. I mean, it's it's we're trading convenience for internet connectivity, and if you don't plug it into the wireless or don't plug it into the Ethernet uh, or the internet, you won't actually have a problem. So it's really a case of um, if you give these devices the ability to communicate, then they will. If they don't have the ability to communicate, then that will obviously stop the problem altogether. Yeah, definitely. How would you recommend the thinking consumers and business owners before purchasing IoT devices, before running into these potential security risks, what should they be asking themselves? Oh, I think, you know, do you really want it online? Um, the internet of things is great, but, you know, do you need to know that you've got... Uh, 100 grams of beans left in your coffee machine at home. <laughs> you know, it's, some of these things are really cool because they're just really cool. And as someone that's a bit of a technology person myself, you know, playing with stuff and plugging into the internet is really awesome. You know, that's, that's, that's really cool. But, you know, I probably don't need to know the pH of my pool when I'm at, you know, wherever, at the gym or <laughs> at, at, the, at the shopping centre. That's not really important. So I shouldn't really need to put it online. It's probably most important when I'm at home and I can't be bothered walking outside to test the pH in the pool. Or, you know, that I need to know before I go and do the shopping to get some coffee beans. So either I can look in the coffee machine or check it out on the app when I'm at home. Uh, so, you know, that's kind of the question you want to ask. Do you really want it online? And, and if the answer is yes, um, it's how can you make sure that uh, it's actually only being able to send the data to where you want it to be? And that's where it starts to get a little bit harder. You know, you start looking at firewalls for your home uh, or things that control where the traffic's going outbound from your network. So you start to get a little bit more tricky and that's where you start to get into a more of a, a security network design for your home, which is something that, you know, Australia and Hills and all those other people that offer home hubs and home setups haven't quite got to that stage yet. So I think that's probably the next evolution of the home environment as, you know, now, I'm one of these people that actually, when we built a home 10 or 11 years ago, I cabled the whole house with Cat6, which is probably not something that people normally do. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's, it's one of those things now. We've got connectivity in every room, uh, wired and wireless, and the ability to connect anything that we want. Uh, but the, the question still needs to be asked, do we want to connect it? Just because you can doesn't mean you want to. Oh, exactly. And I can't imagine why you'd want some of these devices turned on in the first place. Like, there's new door systems that are coming out with uh, the ability to plug into your network. So you can walk up to your front door and it'll automatically know who you are and allow you in. Yep. 
But if someone pinches your phone, then what? Well, that's it. That's and that's exactly. It. I mean, it's similar to the previous models of similar doorbells that have had a fingerprint. And if you put that online and you have biometrics uh, data as part of that system, do you want potentially your fingerprint to be stored online? Um, you know, so it's, there's there's a lot of new questions that are being raised as part of this, I guess, evolution of technology in the domestic environment, and. Um, these are some of the things that I think the next 10 years will face as, as the modern systems and solutions get smaller and more integrated, as you said, with doors. Um, but things like your home lighting, your, your home power, individual timing of things being turned on and off, um, your TV having a video camera as well as a microphone so you can talk to it to talk to Netflix or talk to whichever other Apple TV or whatever it might be all of a sudden the old sci-fi of walking into a room and saying turn the lights on might become the norm you know Could having be. your car, telling your car to come around and pick you up may just be something that we do and you know these are the kind of things that um, seemed very sci-fi even 20 years ago but obviously you know what we see today in the market we're not really that far away when we see things like tesla releasing a you know a self-returning car from the car park you know we're actually probably scarily close to these sort of things being available. Yeah, it is quite true. I think that uh, it's going to be interesting times when you can have self-driving cars without you having to have any control around the steering wheel and it'll just drive you wherever you want it to go. Um, but yep. when you have other cars on the road that don't have that, you've got the risk of the computer not being able to know whoever's behind the wheel could potentially crash into you and uh, without them not knowing, it's going to be interesting to see whether there's still accidents and things that occur. Well, that's the thing. I mean, it's, you know, if you, you look at mining, mining companies and large open-cut mine structures, a lot of their heavy, heavy-duty trucks are remote-controlled. Uh, so the, the technology exists. Volvos have got self-driving trucks. That, that's existed for a good couple of years now. Uh, I think the thing that we're waiting for is the legislation to catch up and road signs to be a standard format, standard height and these kind of things so that the trucks can operate safely. Uh, so, you know, I think the, te the technology is already here. Uh, I think what's not here is the rest of the world. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's, it's trying to get the rest of the world up to speed uh, so that these, these things that exist already from some of our large, known, reputable manufacturers can be deployed. But... Uh, it's, look, it's going to be an interesting couple of years to come and it's certainly not making it any, any easier for us security people out there. It's only making it more and more complex with newer and newer things. And uh, I think the big thing that we'll see is around uh, the use of data and also the integration of systems that are already connected online and the AI around them. Uh, that's where we'll start to see some big shifts um, once that data starts being pulled together and actually analysed. Because at the minute we see a lot of things sending data, hence the IoT. What we don't see is a lot of cross-processing of that data and, and making of decisions around it. That's where it starts going to get all fun very quickly as uh, the data is used to actually make some smart decisions. So that's where we want to make sure we know what our data is that gets put online so that we can have the, an appropriate decision that's not too revealing perhaps about us. Fantastic. Thanks a lot for that insight. Um, I hope my audience and anyone who's listening to that has actually got quite a lot of value out of that.
and uh, I think we will have some more questions on this. So if you have any questions regarding this, I'm sure Craig's happy to come back and answer them for you too. Thanks very much for listening. We'll be back tomorrow with another podcast episode. Bye for now. This podcast is brought to you by Airdesk, IT support for your home and business. To give your business a help desk, visit airdesk.online or search Airdesk support.